Welcome. This is Karen Motokaitis, your host of How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. What is meaningful work? What do you feel called to do? Viktor Frankl, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, talks about us finding meaning in one of three ways going through a difficult situation, being in a loving relationship and being of service. So here's the thing. If you're in a loving relationship, you're going to go through a difficult situation and you are of service. But that is one way for you to find meaning and being able to apply it in the work that you do. And so this final episode of six podcasts in the Leader of Your Life series is Do Meaningful Work. Notice, I didn't say research, dream, think about, nope, do. And give yourself permission that you don't have to have it all figured out. Martin Luther King says, take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. That quote was so powerful as I went through my own transformation and my own journey to doing meaningful work. So what do you feel called to do? I have this five chapters that I've kind of laid out of my own career, my own transformation. Now, by all means, I'm not saying that this is the route that you should take or that you should do what I do. In fact, I often tell people don't do what I do because my journey, it was hard and it's not this easy thing that people think and there was probably a better way. So, but I want to break down the different chapters as I went through so I can explain to you and you can use this as a way to grab onto the concepts about how do you do meaningful life? How do you cultivate it? Chapter one, the path you think you're on. When I was in college, I was a junior at university and I was at a talk and I really wanted to do television and I can't believe I'm telling you all this, television and film. That was my dream. I didn't really believe it was something possible for a loser like me, but that's really what I wanted to do. And here's the reason why, and this is important for later on, is that I really wanted to inspire through stories. The idea of empowering people and providing relief and more joy in their life through stories was really compelling to me, but it had nothing to do with what I had been doing. And I didn't know how to do it until one day I met a director of television shows. And I remember one of the shows he did was uh, Laverne and Shirley, and he did Full, uh, Full House. And I was talking to him, and I must have been wearing a swim t-shirt, and we were, I was talking with him with one of my girlfriends. And I was trying to figure out how, once I graduated, I was going to be able to live in LA because I couldn't get a waitress job. And the reason I couldn't is that I'm a swimmer and I'm a land dork and I have a hard enough time just like walking, let alone serving people. And that is not my strength. So I was thinking about this. And the next thing I knew is we were talking about how his kids swam. 
And I looked at him and I looked at my girlfriend. I go, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to become a swim coach in LA and I'll meet all these people in the industry. And then that's how I'll get my job. I swear to God, that was my direction. So I had this, what I was going to do. I had the next step, like in the Martin Luther King. And he goes, that's a fantastic idea. So thereby I made this gigantic goal but I didn't know how to accomplish it. But I knew the next step. The next step was, well, I need to get coaching experience. Just because I'm a swimmer doesn't mean that I can just go down to LA without any experience. And I have another year and a half left. So why not get some coaching experience? And I went out and interviewed for jobs. I found a job and I started coaching. And that's why I started. And it was pretty funny because I remember coaching eight and unders thinking, oh, well, they're just going to do everything I tell them to do because that's what kids do. Little did I know. So you can tell that I didn't have a very good plan, nor did I really know what I was doing. And then what happened over time was there was a bit of people's fears. I remember my dad having a conversation with me like, really, you're going to move to LA and how's that going to work? And and, but I also really liked coaching swimming. And part of it was I realized I made swimming way more complicated than it ever had to be because of the drama in my head. I didn't have this kind of language back then, but the obstacles I created because of my own self-doubt, my shame, my not believing in myself. And so then I was like, I didn't have focus. You know, I did things that were self-sabotaging until that, you know, until I got to college and then every year got better. And then that year, that's when I became a national champ in division two swimming. And so I was like, wow, that is what I'm going to do. So this time period that I'm here, maybe short, is I want to inspire kids and not just inspire them, but I wanted them to take action and create these results in their life. And that's what I did. And I loved it. And then I got more and more involved in coaching swimming and I loved it. And then I started coaching at the university and then I went the more practical route there was a recession. We're talking, this is like 1993 through 1995. So there's a recession happening. And I decided I'm going to be a college swim coach. That's a nice, stable job. I laugh now because my 45, soon to be 46 year old self would not say that a head coach university job is a stable job. But that's what I thought as a 20 year old, 21 year old. And so I went about coaching, inspiring kids, working with them, then blowing their minds. It was so fun. Like when people had this common goal to create something. And for me, it was never about like, I was this great coach was how I could partner with them and help them overcome their own obstacles. And kids are fantastic with it because they don't have quite the gremlins that we as adults have. And this work was so cool because they were able to learn to believe in themselves. And that was really important to me, this shy girl who believed she was from Loser Street, who didn't believe in herself until she was 20 years old, or, you know, there were, there were small steps along the way, but then here I just come off this high watermark. The next chapter, chapter two is the path you think you're supposed to take as a grown-up. So after coaching the youth and listening to some of the fear mongers out there and thinking about like, well, what's practical? Well, to be a head coach at a college would be way more practical than to move to LA and work in that industry. And so I started to pursue that and I started working uh, at the university. And then as I was graduating, I decided to apply for jobs and there, lo and behold, there was a head coaching job new, not too far away. And I applied and I got the job and it was a bit crazy because I think I was just turned 22. 21. And it was so funny because I could not rent cars for my team. And I'd have to have some of the athletes who are older than me rent the cars. But that's just the way it was. But this was what I was supposed to do. It was safe. It was secure. I mean, it was part-time at the beginning. 
And, but I thought that this was what I was supposed to do. And there was a part of me, my ego that thought, oh, my goal is to be a national team coach because I need to show the world what a woman can do. And it was really kind of that instance of me gladiating, me popping up and trying to take on a system instead of me ever saying, is this something I want to do? And it fits so many of the components because I thought, oh, this will be safe. And I thought this will be secure and I'll be a head coach and I get to be the boss. You know, that's always, that can be fun. And I went to grad school. I wound up getting the full-time position and I was 29. And over time, I realized that "Mm, I probably don't want to really be a national coach. I don't like to travel. It's a volunteer job. And the other problem is, is that ego, when you do something rooted out of your ego, it's really short-term. It's short-term work. And when you do meaningful work, you're able to last the duration. And here's the thing. I didn't believe at that point that I was allowed to do meaningful work because remember, I still had that loser belief. And so I just thought, well, this is as good as it gets. Probably why I never liked that Helen Hunt, Jack Nicholson movie, as good as it gets, because I was loving it. I was like, huh, I've got all these components of what I wanted, but I'm not really doing meaningful work. And it's not really what I wanted to do, but I'm going to settle into this because I thought, what else can I do? What else do I know besides teaching swimming? I believed I was stuck and I was really good at being self-indulgent. And then that's when I started to create things bit by bit. And in chapter three, it became the path that does not make any sense and you believe is irresponsible. So I coached at the college for a long time. I taught, you know, I helped kids create the results and blow their own minds. And really, like when I look back now, I was still doing that meaningful work, what was important to me, where they were overcoming their obstacles, they're overcoming their limiting beliefs about who they were and what they were capable of doing. And I would use stories and books and, you know, it was kind of a bit, um, oh, I don't know demanding is not quite the word, but I was really in their face. And I would say, you need to read this book. You need to do this. Don't you know about this information? I was constantly doing that. They really weren't wanting this information, but here I was doing it, trying to help them overcome their obstacles. And then one day I created this radio show back in 2006. And I remember doing it. And the thing that was so thrilling was it was something that I was just doing that was aligned with what I wanted to do, what my heart wanted to do. And it didn't have to do with anything with status. It didn't have to do with getting paid because it was volunteer. It just had to do with like me being brave and doing something that I really didn't know anything about. But, and I hate to use this word, but really felt that I had this calling to go do. And not like a calling where, you know, people often say, oh, that kid is talented and that's why they're a good swimmer. No, no, it's not that. But there was just this voice that was saying, speak, go do this. And it really at that time was more about learn, learn, you know, what can you learn from other people? And so I started this radio show because it was another way to inspire people through stories. And remember, my 20-year-old self, my 18-year-old self, or 19, when I wanted to do movies and TV, it was always about inspiring through stories. And then here's the thing, and this is really important because people think, oh, to do meaningful work, I can't do meaningful work and make a living, right? That's not possible because what I want to do, there's no way to make money in it. And with that being said, that may be true and that may not be true. 
But here's something that I think is really important is if you can give yourself permission, like I wasn't making money at this radio thing that I was doing. And my job was actually a trust fund to support this situation because I didn't, you know, I was hoping, oh, one day somebody will find me and I'll get ads and so on and so forth. We are still here in 2018 and there are no ads for this show and it's been purposeful at this point. But I, with my job that I wasn't in love with, was able to allow me the space to go and do this. And yes, I worked evenings and it was kind of like a side hustle and it was, I treated it like another job, but I didn't burden the show to give me an income. And now maybe for you, that's not what you have the opportunity to do. Or maybe for you, that is the perfect thing to do. But I love this quote from Elizabeth Gilbert in Big Magic. She says, I never wanted to burden my writing with the responsibility of paying for my life. So remember this, as you're contemplating your meaningful work, meaningful work does not have to be validated with income. My show did not produce any income for a long time. And the income, I, the way I thought it was going to produce income was very, very different than, the, than how it does now. Okay. So don't think that the only way that you can be validated to do a meaningful work is with income. I think that's a really, really important thing. So give yourself that permission. Now back to this being in this path that doesn't make sense. And I think it's irresponsible. So I started this podcast, this radio show, wasn't burdening it. I had my job to take care of me. And then I created this life coaching thing and I was so drawn to it and it felt great. And part of it was that I really love this idea that I had this show where I could help people and I could offer up resources or people or interviews. And there were people out there that were, it was helping versus me pushing it upon my athletes that I was doing in the past. And I loved it. And then the life coaching was actually me using my skills of helping people get the results they want. And I know how to coach in the terms of coaching people. I had to learn how to be a life coach and that's a whole nother thing, but I was able to add to what I did. And that is what I created, but I didn't, but what I didn't expect was that there would be hard days in the cultivation of doing meaningful work. I thought, oh, once I'm there, it's going to be the promised land and everything's going to come easily. That's not really how life works. So doing meaningful work, one, you don't have to be paid for it. And two, it doesn't mean you live in the promised land. Doing meaningful work does not mean bliss 24 seven. Like anything, there are ups and downs. But when you're doing meaningful work and it's aligned, like me helping people is really, really important. Me helping people overcome and see their blind spots and get out of their own way is what I love to do. It doesn't matter if it's a pool. It doesn't matter if it's my life coaching clients. It doesn't matter if it's a parent that's talking to me who has all these obstacles because they're in compare and despair, right? It doesn't matter if it's a leader of an organization or a company where they're getting in their own way and they're not leading as effectively as they want. But really being able to help people is something that I love. The next chapter is chapter four. So here I am. I have built exactly what I wanted, but then I'm condemning myself. One day I was at the gym. This is, I don't know, a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago. And I was at the gym and something came up on the TV and it just said something about girl trafficking. And it was so interesting. And because I'm very aware of what goes on in my mind, I noticed this thought, this shame gremlin thought of, you think you're doing important work. What? You're just working with your clients and then a bunch of affluent kids in an affluent town in the sport of swimming. 
That's not important. You know, stopping trafficking of young girls is important work. That's what she should be doing. And I was beating myself up about this. And I'm like, whoa, wait a second. Time out. Time out. I thought about it for a while after I beat myself up for probably a good 20 minutes. Wait, one, I don't like to travel. Remember how I didn't want to be a national team coach because I don't like to travel? So one, I don't like to travel. I have very limited dates that I'll travel for work and I'll do speaking engagements or I'll do trainings. So when am I thinking that I'm going to travel? Two, this is really important work. There's no doubt about it. And I give myself permission that this is not something I have to take on right now. My kids are young. I've made a commitment to not travel so much while they're at home because I only have so many years left with them at home. And then three is my good friend Indrani does this work. She's spoken at the UN. She's building a center in India. She is doing this work. She is so profoundly doing this work and I'm so thankful. And if I can support her in doing this work, that can be my small sliver. Not that I need, you know, any applause. And then the other thing I realized is that the kids that I'm working with in this pool, instead of demeaning like, oh, well, we're just a bunch of affluent children in an affluent town, which isn't the case for everybody on that team. I'm helping kids learn how to be confident. I'm helping kids learn how to be brave. I'm helping kids cultivate courage in their lives so that they can show up. I'm helping kids learn how to blow their own mind in the sense that I'm going to go after what it is that I want. I may or may not get it, but I'm going to get back up and I'm going to go again. And then one day they go, holy moly, I'm that kid that I remember seeing other kids be, and I never thought that would be me. And then one day I started thinking that that could be me. And then another day I started thinking it more and I kept working towards that. And then here I am. So whether it's in the pool or with my clients, that's what I do. And so what I realized was instead of judging myself because there was a part of the world that I wasn't directly helping, I don't know who these people in my pool may one, one day become. They may become this fierce person. They may become like my friend Andrani and go and do this work. That's so important, right? And they'll go and say, thank goodness I did Hell Week as a swimmer or thank goodness I was so courageous growing up and overcame swimming in deep water, overcame watching everybody, having everybody watch me while I raced, overcame the disappointment of being disqualified. Because of that, I gained so much skills that I could go and be brave and try to change something that is absolutely not okay. And so about six months ago, I was with my friend Indrani and I was telling her the story. She didn't even know, like I had this full on conversation with myself at the gym one morning and she looked at me and she said, Corinne, I didn't start this work until I was 58 years old. My kids were grown. You have plenty of time. And I remember thinking, wow, the relief of thinking that I have to do it all right now if I want to be good enough, right? Even that falters into our brains. And instead of thinking of, I am doing meaningful work. And for me, this is what it looks like. My life doesn't have to be what your life needs to look like. You get to decide as the leader in your life. That part's really important. So don't demean yourself and remember what are you doing? What is your why to your meaningful work? My final chapter is where I am right now. Chapter five, owning your meaningful work in entirety. So here's the thing. There's a lot of life coaches. Well, I know a lot. You may not know any, but I know a lot of life coaches. And there are so many podcasts now. It is crazy, especially from when I first started out in 2006. 
However, I am the only life coach, podcaster, and executive director of a youth swim team. I have this unique mix. And I love that about the work that I do. I've been able to interview thought leaders and researchers and, you know, ordinary people like me who have a story to share with all of you. I've now taken the show on and created these monologues, right? I take the research of how to manage and how to lead as the executive director. So when I'm working with my C CEOs or my clients who are CEOs or C staff, uh, C C level executives or business owners, they can't say, well, this is just something you read out of a book because I'm showing up and I'm doing it myself. I am leading. I am managing people. And it is not a cakewalk. And there are days, many days of frustration. There are many days of doubt. And then it's about how do I overcome it, right? So I own the work that I do and I don't discount any of it. And while you may think, okay, swim coach, life coach, podcaster, these are all different arenas. They're really all the same thing. It's just they have a different topic, but where they're rooted in. There's all, it's all about overcoming the obstacles that gets in the way of what we're trying to create. And these obstacles are shame. It's that damn voice of you're not enough. You're a fraud. There's something wrong with you. You're bad. You're broken right? There's the fear of, well, what if I fail? There's the fear of making a mistake. There's a fear of not doing it well, right? There's the vulnerability, the uncertainty, the emotional exposure, the risk, and all of that cultivates our own self-hatred, right? We hate ourselves so much. And that does not, my friend, create fantastic results. In fact, it creates the exact opposite, because then we wind up numbing either with alcohol, with food, you know, with broken relationships, with spending money. And instead, when you can own what you do and what I do now is I'm working on cultivating in every arena for my clients, my listeners, my athletes and their parents, my staff, you know, my uh, coaches that I have on the Aqua Monsters, the team that I have behind how she really does it in believing in yourself, having self-confidence, having self-compassion, which remember is the antidote to shame, overcoming obstacles so that you can create the results in your life. And for us, it's about doing meaningful work. Again, paid, unpaid, your, maybe your meaningful work is to raise your children, right? What is your meaningful work? Think about that. Cultivating loving and connected relationships. When I was young and overachieving and trying to create security and safety in my life, I just thought like loving and connected relationship, that's frivolous. I'll do that later. Once I get this accomplished, I didn't realize how important loved ones were or friends were and cultivating those relationships and putting the time and the energy in that and not saying, oh, I'll take care of that later. The other part that we're cultivating is loving yourself, really loving yourself where you are your own best friend as one of my clients taught me was that was her work to do here, loving yourself. And then for those of you that have so much self-hatred towards your bodies, loving your body for supporting you and being in this precious life. And finally, with all of this accumulates to you enjoying this one precious life you have and enjoying the challenges that you go through as you grow, because the challenges, my friend, are our greatest teachers. And we never want to argue that I, I often can, but I'm working on that. 
that this shouldn't be happening because they're really here to teach us. And if we can look at that, we're going to grow and flourish because of those challenges that we overcome, because of those obstacles that we grow from. And that's what makes it exciting. Because as much as I like television and I like a good television show, there comes a point where I can't even sit through one because I'm noticing I need some challenges. I need growth. And so there is a time for TV and then there's a time to go out and do in the world. So I'm inviting you to go out and do meaningful work in your life. It's what you feel called to do right now. And as you heard my story, it started out in a totally different arena. And isn't it interesting at how it winded through? And then I went into the path of what I thought I was supposed to do because this meant I was responsible. And remember, you don't have to know the entire journey. Just take that first step. Let go of doing it perfectly because the falls are fantastic. Not that we want them and it doesn't feel good going down, but the falls are important steps for you to do your meaningful work. And self-condemnation is not allowed, nor is it effective on this journey for you. And I want you to make sure that you check in to see, is this work I'm doing fulfilling? And don't discount it because of the hard days. So there are many days, my clients know about this, where the aqua monsters (laughs) present quite the challenges. I was telling my husband a few weeks ago, we were driving to Tahoe and I said, you know, I'd have like a nice little life if I didn't have the monsters in my life. <laughs> I go, my, my business is pretty neat and tidy. I've got these fantastic clients. I would have so much free time. And he just kind of smiled and he said, but all of your fodder, all of your information comes from the monsters. It does. Like the monsters are my places of challenging growth. You know, I'm dealing with, I always say I'm dealing with the most precious resources in adults' life, their children, their time, and their money right? And, and helping people overcome. So helping the parents, helping the kids, working with my staff, dealing with pool contracts. There's so many areas of vulnerabilities and there's so many challenges and there's falling down moments daily that I go through. But what I do know is over the past 12 years of running this program is that I become stronger as a leader. I've had more confidence in myself because, not because of what I've achieved, I've had more confidence in myself because of the negative emotions that I'm willing to experience. I feel all the emotions, not just the good ones. And that is what creates resilience and that's what creates confidence in my life. So don't discount the falls. Don't try. Gosh, I know we, we try, right? We try to like not make any mistakes. Trust me, I do that all the time. And I'm like, oh, this is just another cloak for perfection, Corinne. The falling down moments are your teachers. There will be challenges. There will be difficult days. And then what I typically do, especially in earlier years, probably this is like 2013, 2014. And I ask myself horrible questions like, oh my God, is this destroying my family? You know, I give too much to the team. Will I ever be able to have the business that I want? There's like all kinds of stuff like that. And I remember after the team party at the end of the swim season, whenever it was, sometimes it's July, August, sometimes, and now it's Labor Day weekend. Afterwards, you know, we do go through the thing and it was a great reflective process and watching these kids and watching them grow. And my husband would take me on a walk and he said, look at the lives that are changing and transforming through this little monster team. You know, the kids, they're growing, they've overcome so much. 
the parents are growing, our coaches are growing, we're growing. Like, this is amazing. All from a little swimming pool. I remember he said that to me one day. I was kind of like, seriously, I don't want you to be right. But of course he was right. And now I remember that more frequently throughout the year. So I don't have to wait till I hit rock bottom at the end of the year, exhausted. Like I am doing meaningful work and it's my way of doing it. And some of you may think, seriously, a pool, what does it have to do with anything? Me coaching swimming is how I teach people about life how to be brave, how to overcome obstacles, how to have fallen down moments and how to get back up, how to work together with other people, how to get inspired, how to swim for something bigger than yourselves. Those are all skills that we need in our lives. How to be competitive. And I just learned this today from an old parent of mine. And he said, competition is great because life is a competition. You know, if you want to get a job, you're going to be competing. If you, and then his son went to physical therapy school. If you want to get physical therapy school, you're going to be competing. So why not build up the muscles of competition when it really doesn't matter, which is in a swimming pool, because there it really doesn't matter, right? It's between you and the clock, but it's about you learning how to withstand competition because it is all around us. I say, here I am, you know, I'm 40, almost 46 years old, and I learned something new about the sport of swimming today. And that is why I like it. So when you go and do meaningful work in your life, Do what rings true for you. It's about you cultivating your pain points in your life, the things that are really important to do, the things that you're willing to let go of the clock on. And it can be paid. I found a way to make my, the meaningful work I do where I do get paid. You can do that. Like if I can find a way to do it with the weird things that I do, I always would joke in my town, Everybody has a D at the end of their name. I live in a highly educated community. And I would say, everybody has a D at the end of their name. They're a PhD, an MD, a JD lawyer, right? And I know lots of judges, which just kind of blows my mind. And here I am, a swim coach and a life coach. The two worst titles in the world. But I do meaningful work and I love what I do, right? That's what's important. So own your meaningful work in its entirety. It's messy. There's some people think that all I do is lifeguard in a day. There's some people that don't even know about the show or that I am a life coach. There's so much, there's so many different stories, but it doesn't matter because it's about me owning what I do. And that my friend is what I want for you to do is for you to be able to own what you do. Remember, meaningful work is what you decide is meaningful to you. It can be paid or unpaid, or in between. That part doesn't matter. It's about you doing meaningful work. Are you ready to do meaningful work? You're subscribed to this podcast, right? And if you're not, there's a link in the show notes. Get yourself subscribed so you never miss a show and you have plenty to listen to. Until next time, I'm smiling big for you. Thank you for listening. She is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.